Welcome in to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. John, we have a Heisman Trophy winner. It is Jaden Daniels of LSU, the man that you told me for weeks now was going to win. I was skeptical for a time because LSU's record, but ultimately Daniels' uh, individual performance was so good, Heisman voters could not deny it. I think it also helped him that Bo Nix and Oregon lost in the Pac-12 championship game. We will unpack the Heisman standings today. Along with that, we're going to tell you who's going to win the 2024 Heisman Trophy. So, John, have you borrowed the uh, crystal ball that the College Football Playoff Selection Committee used to fill out their playoff field so we can take a look ahead to... Who's going to win the Heisman next year? No, I uh, I discarded their crystal ball and got me one of my own. I feel more ah. comfortable with that. Yeah. Okay. So you can just pick got, those, uh, those yeah, magic it's devices little, up anywhere? Yeah, it's got a little Florida State sticker on it, too. Oh, it does? Yeah. Oh, you must have got a different one than the, the playoff committee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, uh, no, there are a lot of – one of the things, I, I think when you look at Heisman now, you got to look at transfers. Best oh, no transfer doubt. going to the best place. Yeah, and we uh, we saw that in the Heisman voting this year, not only in uh, who won the award in, in Jaden Daniels, but also in fellow finalist uh, Michael Penix and and Bo Nix. I mean, it was a it was a transfer party in in New York, and you know, I don't I don't really knock that. How comfortable do you feel, John, when it comes time to voting for guys on your ballot that are transfers? I assume. No hesitation on on your end either. No, it was uh, mine was uh, Jay Daniels, uh, Bo Nix, and Michael Penix. One, two, three, uh, all transfer quarterbacks. And okay. I think that's the era in which we live, and and just adjust to it. We see quarterbacks uh, making moves, making smart moves. You want your quarterback to be able to make good decisions. And that those are three examples of quarterbacks who made really good decisions that impacted their careers. Who know? Who knows how things would have turned out for Jaden Daniels if he'd have stayed at Arizona State? But I don't think he would have won the Heisman. Yeah, I had uh, I had Daniels atop my ballot as well. Um, I, I went into conference championship weekend with. Daniels as my number one, but I was kind of reserving judgment until how I saw, uh, until I saw how how Bo Nix in particular played on conference championship weekend. I thought he was he was fine, but uh, not enough to to make me move off that position. So I went Daniels one as you did. I had Bo Nix two, and when it comes to Heisman voting, I sort of have a stance of uh, you do what you want with your ballot. I traditionally don't complain a lot about how a particular Heisman voter votes and I'll do what I want with with my ballot and historically over the years I use that third spot on my ballot to vote for um, the best player whom I liked watching the most throughout that season a couple years ago I went with Matt Corral from Ole Miss uh, last year I went with uh, Max Duggins from TCU on the three line and uh, this year, I went with uh, whom I thought was the the best running back in the nation. Uh, enjoyed watching him play, watching him run all season long. I went with Missouri's Cody Schrader. 
uh, on the number three line. He finished eighth in the voting, was not a Heisman finalist. So we both had uh, Daniels at number one. We both had Nick's on our ballot. You went with Pinnix with your other spot. I went with Schrader. Uh, I don't have an argument with with Pinnix. I thought if I would have went with a third quarterback on my ballot and done the all-quarterback ballot as you did, uh, I also would have went with with Pinnix in my third spot. Yeah, and, and I don't have any problem with Schrader. And, and I really did like watching him play this year. I saw a lot of Missouri games. Uh, he's the epitome of what you want in a running back. He makes tough yards, and his speed is underrated. I saw him pull away from secondaries this season on some long runs and, and turning the corner. A lot of times I thought, well, he won't quite make it around the edge, and he did, and made and turned what looked like a six, seven-yard gain into maybe a 36-yard gain. I really like him. He's also a, a really good receiver coming out of the backfield. Uh, does he have another? He's done eligibility-wise, isn't he? He's done, yes. I, I believe yeah, this, I, this was it for him. Yeah, um, <laughs> Missouri could use him again. I don't know what the – I didn't see much depth there at running back, and that's another uh, attribute he had was durability. I mean, let's face it, they, they would put Nathan Pete in there some to spell him, but it was, the running game was mostly Cody Schrader. They better search hard in that transfer portal and see if they can find someone from Truman State again. <laughs> no, yeah, no doubt. They, uh, they didn't go to Truman, but they, they actually did uh, just add a commitment. Uh, I believe it was uh, earlier this week from uh, Georgia State's your, your your guys, I know how you like Georgia State. They're running back Marcus Kale, Carroll, excuse me, rushed for uh, over 1,300 yards this year. So it wasn't quite Cody Schrader good. Schrader hit nearly the 1,500 mark. He'll he'll go across 1,500 in the bowl game. But yeah, Marcus Carroll from Georgia State had a really nice year. Um, in this, Is this in his second unknown. transfer? Mm, probably. He's a veteran guy. He, I know. Okay. I, I think he's got one year. No, he he. Uh, Looks like he spent his whole career at okay. Georgia State up to this point, but I, th- I think he's got one more one more year left in him. So Missouri, uh, going back to the the transfer lane to try to keep the the running back thing going. So all right, so there are ballots for for this year, John. Now it's it's time to uh, turn the page because we think every, the voters got it right. So there's nothing to argue with at Jaden Daniels. So now let's let's tell folks who's going to win the Heisman next year. I know our, our crystal balls uh, got a few images floating around in, in there. We can't quite identify who's definitely going to win, but we got a pretty good idea of who's headed to New York. Who's your crystal ball identifying right out of the out of the gates here? I've got a lot of guys in that crystal ball right now. Uh, probably coming most into focus is Dylan Gabriel. Mm. I thought he was one of the top quarterbacks in the country this season. Um, transferred now to Oregon. So he goes from one explosive offense to another and going from Oklahoma to Oregon. I, I like everything about him. He also has that seemingly has that intangible attribute to make a play when it's most needed. He runs hard. He's had some injury issues, but it hasn't phased the way he runs. I mean, he runs, he'll take on a tackler when he, when he need, is needed it's not stupid or reckless running, but uh, and he's a very accurate passer. I love him in that uh, in that Oregon offense. He had he was great at Oklahoma's 
offense. I don't quite understand why Oklahoma would want him to depart. And maybe it didn't, but that's, you know, it's an interesting situation. It was hard to interpret Brent Venables' comments there. Uh, Of course, you know, Gabriel was in the portal at at that point. You're trying to to say uh, whatever the best thing is to make it look for your, your heir apparent, Jackson Arnold, at that point. But, yeah, it didn't sound like Venables was all that sad to see Gabriel go. It is a... It's such a fine line to walk because if Gabriel decides as he did, he wants to come back for one more season, and then you got this five-star behind him in Jackson Arnold who you can get a couple years out of, it's like, man, you'd, you'd probably love to have Gabriel for one more, but then who's your quarterback in 2025? Like I think Oklahoma's hope is they have Jackson Arnold as their star quarterback for two years. So if you keep Gabriel for one more, you, you might risk losing Arnold and then you don't have your solution to 2025. Now I know, you know, John, you, you like to live in the moment. So I suspect you would not be worrying so much about 2025 if you could get another year out of Dylan Gabriel. But I do see how this is a tough balancing act. You know, when you have a five-star sitting waiting in the wings, who's your quarterback of the future who, who you don't want to lose? Blake, I think that's old school thinking. Uh, I don't, um, like you said, I, I think right now when you're selecting a quarterback, who's the best guy right now? That's what you go with. You worry about 2025 after the 24 season. But like I said about what is there not to like about Dylan Gabriel? Anybody that watched him in that Texas game, I mean, that was that was pretty stellar what he did in that game. And he pulled that game out at the end with a clutch throw in the end zone. Uh, I just really like him. I, I think that's – and I don't know, maybe uh, – Surely Oklahoma could pay him enough, and uh, I bet he got $2 million to go to Oregon. I would just go, when you look at all the portals in the tra- – all the portals, all the quarterbacks in the transfer portal, I, I mean, that's not going to change next year. You're going to have a pick of a lot of high-quality quarterbacks. We just saw where Riley Leonard of Duke committed to – to Notre Dame, Notre Dame last this past season had Sam Hartman uh, from Wake Forest. Uh, that's that's the way to play the game now, and those guys don't seem to have any any trouble adjusting to a new system. So that's the way I would go. But who knows? Maybe uh, maybe things will work out fine with Oklahoma. But I'd be betting on Oregon right now. Yeah, and I wonder from Gabriel's perspective. John, if he when Jeff Levy left there, an offensive coordinator who he had been with at UCF and then he'd been with at Oklahoma, Levy left to become the head coach at Mississippi State, of course. I wonder if Gabriel thought, okay, it's time to move on because uh, the guy I've been with and had so much success with is is out of here. And and if I wonder if he would be back, I guess I'm saying, if, if Levy had not left. Um, it, it, I, I like starting the conversation with Gabriel for a couple reasons. One, as you mentioned, he's a dual threat guy. The, those dual threat quarterbacks tend to have, a, I think, a little bit of an extra advantage when it comes to winning the Heisman. Doesn't mean you have to be a dual threat guy. If you, ha- if you have like a, a season like Joe Burrow did uh, back in 2019 or Bryce Young a couple years ago, you can, you can win the Heisman without running for a bunch of yards, but it does help you. I think to have that running ability, Gabriel has it. He had over 4,000 yards of total offense this year. 
And another reason is I think it's it's hard to win the Heisman when you were uh, a relative unknown coming into the season. Even if you have a great year um, in a particular year, it, it helps so much if going into the season, you know, you're considered uh, a guy to watch. And I think with Gabriel, yes, he didn't finish in the top 10 of Heisman voting this year, but but he will come into next year on the on the shortest of short list to win this award because of what he did at Texas. If there had been or against Texas, if there had been a midseason Heisman, I think Gabriel would have been at least a finalist for New York, right? Like if we would have we would have stopped the voting after oh I don't know seven eight weeks of the season, he would have been a finalist. And I think I do think that helps the fact that he got some buzz in the year heading into what we're talking about him him winning the award it's so hard to come out of nowhere and win this thing yeah you're right he played great in a very high profile game i watched that game uh and my thought after it was dylan gabriel is going to uh is going to win the uh is going to win the heisman i I didn't know uh again a lot of voters and i won't judge them but they do go a lot on how the team does the team had a couple of close losses uh, to as, to underdogs. Uh, perhaps things would have worked out differently. I still think Jaden Daniels, his numbers far surpassed everybody. But I really like, uh, I do really like D- uh, Dylan Gabriel's chances going into next season. And you mentioned Bo Nix. He's a very similar quarterback to Bo Nix. Bo Nix can run. I agree with you. I like the dual threat guys. And even though Bryce Young and Joe Burrow, Heisman winners, weren't classic dual threat guys, they ran when needed. They that's made big plays okay. on the run. And that's something I really look for, uh, is a guy that can make it when everything breaks down. Can they scramble for 15 yards and a first down? We saw Bryce Young do that. And we saw Joe Burrow do that in big games. Yeah, that, that's a good point, John. They weren't exactly statues in the pocket, even though they weren't dual threats to the extent of a, of a Jaden Daniels, and neither is Gabriel. He's certainly a pass-first type of guy who can run it. Uh, speaking of dual threat quarterbacks, I got one for you, John. See if you like this one. Uh, Jalen Milrow played so well in the second half of the season, he finished all the way at number sixth, and, and number six in Heisman voting this year. <laughs> I think he's going to be, at the very least, a finalist next year. I think he could win this award, become the second Alabama quarterback to win it behind Bryce Young. Um, Milrow, another another guy who can beat you with his arm or his legs, um, an even better runner, I think, than, than Dylan Gabriel, uh, throws a great deep ball. And I think he progressed this season – as sort of a down-to-down passer. You know, there was a point in this year, around week four, week five, where Alabama's offense was basically chuck it deep with Milrow, uh, which, again, he's he's good at, or B, let him run. Well, the Alabama offense is still largely that, but in between, you know, the end of September and now, he's progressed some as an every-down passer. I mean, I think about that fourth down, completion he made in the SEC championship. Was it a completion? Was it an incompletion? A little controversial there, but it was a great throw. Uh, he's got a strong arm, and I think he only gets better next season. He'll 
presumably be in, in another year with Tommy Reese in that system. So I, I think he's he's got to be among the, the preseason favorites for the award next year. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. And he has he reminded me so much at the end of year of the year of I mentioned this before, but Vince Young at Texas when he led the Longhorns to the 2005 national championship and practically beat Southern California single-handed. And so they have something in common, uh, those two. Vince Young brought an end to the USC dynasty going for three national titles in a row, uh, pulled it out for Texas in the last minute, and then we saw Jalen Milrow take down Georgia with its 29-game winning streak. So both guys have epic wins in their you know, in their re- repertoire, I, I really, he made the Georgia game going into next season. I mean, that's going to loom large. I mean, that's one of those memorable games. So you're looking for some Heisman impetus. He has it going into next season, as you said. And the play that stood out for me was when he made that little shovel pass mm-hmm. in the middle of the field, a crucial play, that ability to ad lib, improvise, in in clutch moments so yeah i really i really like his chances i think alabama could upgrade its receiving core still and maybe upgrade its running back core too uh but think about it how how is it how far he has come in the third game he was alabama's number three quarterback against south florida didn't even play and then at the end of the year, as you pointed out, he's number six in the Heisman vote. And, and I also look at at uh, Alabama's schedule, John. He's going to have so many opportunities for quote unquote Heisman moments, those those big plays and big games that attract the attention of voters. Uh, I mean, Alabama in week three is at Wisconsin. Then in week five, they're hosting Georgia. They go to LSU, they go to Oklahoma. I mean, it's a it's a bear of a schedule for Alabama this coming season. They usually play a pretty tough, one of the tougher schedules in the nation. Well, it's I think it's only getting tougher uh, next year. I mean, just those four games I I mentioned: uh, the Big Ten clash with Wisconsin, and then Georgia, LSU on the road, Oklahoma on the road. Of course, the Iron Bowl always has a lot of eyeballs on it. I just I just think he's going to have a lot of chances for the quote-unquote uh, Heisman moments. Yeah, I agree. And that's so important because even if you don't play a schedule, if you're in the get college uh, football's biggest regular season game, one of its biggest regular season games, that's your chance uh, to win a Heisman. Uh, as Tennessee fans can recall from 1997, Charles Woodson of Michigan, the cornerback, uh, a big game against Ohio State and uh, beat out Peyton Manning for the trophy. Yeah, no no controversy about that. In Knoxville, None at all. Right? No. <laughs> all right, who's who's next on your list, John? You got another quarterback, or are we, we dipping down to some, uh, some non-quarterbacks? Well, I still got several guys I like a lot. But I'll throw a kind of a long shot in there All because right. I don't know how this is going to pan out. But Cam Ward of Washington State, if he lands at Ohio State, I've seen the numbers he's put up there at Washington State. You get him in a high-profile program, 
talent all around him, he could make a really strong run. I know he doesn't have a lot. He he doesn't have that much publicity going into the season, but if you watch the Pac-12 like I do, you know he's uh, you know he's been a really productive uh, quarterback in a in a league full of productive quarterbacks. So, and he's a dual threat guy. He can run when needed. He's a pass first guy, but uh, so I is a kind of a uh, outside pick. I would I would think about him. Yeah, that's a that's a good long shot one. As we record this, he has not landed at a program. Uh, some of the the other names being reported as possible destinations: uh, Florida State, Miami. I mean, these are all programs. You mentioned Ohio State, which needs a new quarterback with Kyle McCord in the transfer portal. These are all places where if he landed at any of those schools, he could he could immediately be in the spotlight. And as you say, I don't know that he's like on the tip of the tongue with a lot of Heisman voters right now. If you watched the Pac-12 to any degree, you're familiar uh, with his game. You know, he's a good quarterback. I, I don't know that he has quite the same buzz as some of the others, but he could quickly get it based on, you know, the blue blood program that he's he's likely to end up with. I don't know which program, but I, I think he's he's going to wind up at, at, at some good school uh, that needs a new starting quarterback, which all those schools that we mentioned do. So I think that's a good long shot one. Um, another one that I feel like is, uh, well, I guess, kind of mainstream, John, Carson Beck, despite the fact that I was tapping the drum for him at different points this season, it seemed like no one was listening to my <laughs> tapping. And ultimately, uh, Carson did not end up on my ballot. Um, again, I think that was one of the situations if my ballot was due about say week 10, <laughs> I think, uh, I think I could have been persuaded to vote for him. I thought he was so efficient on third downs, one of the best third down passers in the country this year, but, and it's never about one game, but when you're on the borderline of a ballot and you go out with, um, just sort of a shrug of the shoulders, I didn't think he was at his best against Alabama in the SEC championship game. Uh, he wasn't strong enough for, for Georgia to win that game. Although there was a lot of reasons why Georgia didn't win that game. Uh, so ultimately I didn't have him on my ballot. A lot, a lot of Heisman voters must've felt the same way. He didn't finish in the top 10. However, coming back next year, assuming he does, which it seems like it's pointing in that direction. I think he would be a guy uh, with a lot of attention on him, a second year starter at Georgia, uh, in the way that Carson, uh, excuse me, Stetson Bennett got more Heisman buzz as a second-year player, and Bennett's production improved uh, in his second season winning the national championship with Georgia, too. Plus, I think the narrative is there, like a Georgia redemption tour, right? I mean, Heisman voters always love a player with a narrative. Georgia's got the narrative. Their quarterback certainly would have that narrative. So so Carson Beck would be on my short list as well. Yeah, I thought uh, the thing about Carson Beck, he was extremely efficiency, uh, efficient. I thought he was hurt in that SEC game uh, by a supporting cast in that Brock Bowers, uh, best tight end in the country, one of the best players in the country, was not at 100%. He, he just wasn't at full speed after undergoing ankle surgery. You could see that. If you watched Georgia play all season, watched him play for three years now, you know that wasn't. Brock Bowers at his very best. And also, uh, Lad McConkey uh, was not at his best. He's been battling injuries, been in and out of the lineup. 
those are Georgia's two playmakers in receiving core. And I thought without them, that really limits what Carson Beck does best. He can get the ball to his, his playmakers. He's very adept at that. And he can thread the needle on passes. And that's so important in throwing the ball to Bowers. If you get the ball anywhere close to him, he'll probably catch it. And uh, so I thought that hurt him in that game. And it also hurt him, and this will hurt going into the next season, in that when you talk about the SEC championship game, you don't talk about Carson Beck. Your quarterback of conversation, as we mentioned earlier, is going to be Jalen Milrose. So that would hurt him. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, I think I like a couple of the names we mentioned out off the jump, uh, Jalen Milrow and Dylan Gabriel. I probably like their chances even more than Beck, but if I had to sort of take a safe bet to make it to the finalist stage next year, uh, I feel pretty strong that Beck could be among the top four. I don't know if he wins it, uh, but I, th- I think he's going to appear on a lot of ballots uh, next season. Uh, all right, we got four names out there. John, how about another one? Okay, I'll stay out west and go with a guy who's not another non-high-profile guy in Arizona. I watched Arizona play quite a bit, more so than Washington State. And I thought it was, at times I thought, man, this is definitely uh, a top 10 team. It struggled early in the year, but Noah Fafita, I may be mispronouncing that name. I think you nailed it. Okay. Well, you're the expert on pronunciation, so I will yield to to you on those. Uh, But I mean, he was so accurate in that offensive. That offense was really humming all, all year long. Uh, so he's going to put up really big numbers. And there's sort of – it's hard for for more than one guy, I think, in the conference to emerge sometimes. So um, some of those departures might help him, but he'll also have to compete with uh, Dylan Gabriel of Oregon. So that may work against him. And I haven't seen his name in the transfer portal, which is great news for Arizona. Well, Arizona will be Big 12 next year, and, and Oregon true. will be Big 10. So how do you think that affects things, the, the new conferences these guys are going to wind up in? Yeah, I forgot about that with Arizona switching over. I think uh, I think he will excel in that league, too. I don't see defenses in either conference being – uh, so great. Um, so I think he could do well. It's kind of a wide open game in the big 12, just as it was in the pac 12. I think the defenses have gotten better in those conferences, but still I think of them as offensive league league. So I don't know what, I haven't looked at Arizona's schedule for next year, but he played well against some good teams. So I, I think he'll be okay in that regard. All right. I'll give you three more out the door here, John, and see which of these three maybe you think has the uh, has the best shot. How about uh, two quarterbacks and a running back? We've, we're all quarterbacks so far for good reason, right? Quarterback usually wins the Heisman, but we'll, we'll throw one out there that's not a quarterback just to make things interesting. So my two quarterbacks are Quinn Ewers of Texas, a known commodity, guy who's, who's going to be in the SEC next year. He's in the college football playoff this year. One year supposed to not supposed to affect the other in Heisman voting, but we know that it can. If Texas were to get to the national championship, win the national championship behind Ewers this year, uh, I think he could go into it as a preseason favorite next year. So that's one, Quinn Ewers. 
Number two, Jackson Dart at Ole Miss will be in year three in Lane Kiffin's system. We saw him get better from year one to year two in that system. What can he do in year three? And then a guy whom you like already, John, we mentioned him earlier for a non-quarterback. I would uh, suggest Oklahoma State's Ollie Gordon, who was, uh, I believe, the only man to outrush Cody Schrader, uh, my guy, this season, um, or at least in terms of yards per game, I should say. There were there were some other guys I think that had um, played in, or maybe got more yards total that had the benefit of a conference championship game. Uh, but Ollie Gordon and, and Cody Schrader were, were, for my money, two of the best running backs, uh, the two best running backs, excuse me, this year. Schrader will be gone. Ollie Gordon comes back for his junior season at Oklahoma State. So of those three guys, yours, Dart, Ollie Gordon, is there one that maybe you like the best to get into the conversation next year? Uh, yours, I guess. I mean, he's played he's played well in two games against Alabama. Remember, he was hurt in the 2022 game. I think it was in the second quarter. He was picking Alabama's defense apart. I really like the way he looked down the stretch. Uh, so he's got a lot uh, going for him already. Everybody knows who he is, and his reputation could only be enhanced uh, by doing well in the playoff. As a running back and a non-quarterback, I, I do I do like Ollie Gordon. I've, Gordon, I voted uh, I voted him first and Cody Schrader second in the for the Doak Walker Award. Uh, thought he was a little bit more of a big, uh, maybe a, a long ball threat, uh, but. Both running backs are really good. And so I really like Gordon uh, going into uh, next season. But I don't think a running – let's be realistic. Like, I mean, a running back is a long shot. He's going to have to ha- – he would have to have the equivalent of the stat season that Jaden Daniels had at a quarterback. And remember, Jordan – Jaden Daniels almost looked at as sort of a – pseudo running back and he rushed for over a thousand yards i think so you have Jaden daniels uh his stats were impossible to ignore i think you'd have to have a running back have stats that were just off the charts historically outstanding need to average maybe 200 yards a game as preposterous as that might sound i think that's what it would take to sway voters like how can we ignore what this guy's doing? Yeah, you have to go back to Derrick Henry in 2015 to find the last running back who won this award. And then before that, it was another Alabama running back, Mark Ingram, all the way back in, in 2009, who won the award. And for other another position player who's won it you know, in the last 20 years, uh, you look at Devonta Smith the wide receiver from Alabama. So it's like, if you, if you want to be a position player and win this award, uh, you better be on, on Alabama. That's uh, that's where you start or, or your name better be Reggie Bush uh, who won it in 2005, who was just, you know, one of the more special players. I think either of us have, have ever seen, and you've seen uh, a lot of them. So yeah, it, it's so hard for a running back in this era to win it. And yeah, you know, if we're just looking at history here, it's really those position players from Alabama uh, that have the numbers and the attention to win this award. I, I think it's he, Ollie Gordon and, and Jackson Dart are probably the two biggest long shots that that we have on our our list. I would say if Jackson Dart could improve as much from twenty three to twenty four as he did from twenty two to twenty three, 
uh, I would like his chances a lot better because his numbers are so much better. Cut way down on his interceptions. Uh, we've talked about him before off the air. I I still think there's something a little bit missing from him, his game, uh, when you see him in the biggest games. Uh, I like Matt Corral uh, at Ole Miss when, when he was playing quarterback for the Rebels. I loved him as a quarterback. Uh, so I don't think he's at that level. Maybe he can improve more. He has some of the same qualities. If he can improve as much going into next season, maybe he can get into the running. All right, John, let's, uh, since we just told people who who's going to win the Heisman Trophy next year, it'll be somebody off our list of eight names, surely. Uh, we'll train, change gears to the playoff, John. We, we talked about Alabama and Texas a little bit as it pertains to Jalen Milrow and Quinn Ewers. But we're going to save our picks for a future episode here. So we're not asking for picks at this point, but just generally speaking, the more I look at this playoff field, the more I'm starting to think it's setting up to be a rematch between that week two game of Alabama and Texas. I think despite the fact that Michigan's the number one seed, I think Alabama got a really good draw with this matchup. I, I think they... They match up well with Michigan. A lot of what Michigan does, you know, defense and run game, I think Alabama can handle uh, a team like that. I uh, don't think it's going to be easy necessarily, but I like Alabama in this one. And also with, with Texas, like I, I think they match up really well with, with uh, Washington. Texas is so good at the line of scrimmage. Um, they got the playmakers on the perimeter. I kind of like both those teams. I, I, I'm leaning toward an Alabama-Texas rematch in, in the national championship game. What's, uh, what's your thoughts about the field as you look at these four? Well, uh, first off, with the Alabama-Michigan matchup, when you look at that game, uh, go back to last year and the year before last when, when Georgia won the national championship. Uh, in each case, uh, its strengths were similar to these teams' strengths in that it could uh, – you think of it as a power running game like Michigan has, tough defense like Michigan has. However, it only won national championships because of Stetson Bennett at quarterback. He made plays. He When plays broke down and when you needed a clutch play, be it pass or run, he delivered. Uh, I don't know if J.J. McCarthy can do that. But we've seen Jalen Milrow do it for Alabama, and and I think that's what this comes down to. I think Michigan has a better offensive line and better running backs, but and the defenses are pretty pretty comparable. So then it comes back to that quarterback play. J.J. McCarthy, I thought, played better early in the year, but the schedule for Michigan was easier early in the year. So. He does have that. He has the potential. He can run the ball. Uh, I think he will really need to run the ball against Alabama uh, more so than he has all season. I think that will be crucial in that game. I know what Jalen Milrow can do. Michigan can stop everything Alabama throws at it conventionally, but what will it do when Jalen Milrow starts scrambling? That, to me, is could determine the game. And that's why I give Alabama an edge. Yeah, and we've seen a couple teams recently have some running success against Alabama, but they were teams that had quarterbacks that could really get involved in, in the run game. So I think 
J.J. McCarthy is going to have to be able to do it with his legs as well. Uh, we saw LSU, of course, with Jaden Daniels, put up a lot of rushing yards against Alabama. Auburn did it too, and despite Auburn's deficiencies as an offense throughout this season, uh, Peyton Thorne, their quarterback, can run it, and he got involved in that run game and the iron ball. But um, overall, yeah, I just I don't know if, if Michigan has the punch, the offensive punch to take down Alabama. It, I almost treat Alabama as the favorite in this. You know, we talked last week about the, well, whether they should or shouldn't be in this, um, but I don't think about that conversation when I think who's going to win these games, right? It's it's not a meritocracy when when two steam teams step on the field as, as far as who's going to win. And so now that, uh, you know, we can kind of put the controversy behind us, uh, we can. I don't know that Florida State can. But <laughs> as we just look at these teams and, and forget about who should have been in, shouldn't have been in, whatever, Alabama is in. I think they're going to beat Michigan. Um, how about Texas? John, do you feel like uh, they're the favorites in this, or you um, you still treat Washington the better seeded team as a favorite? I, you, you've seen a ton of Washington this year. I consider you our resident UW expert. Um, this to me is, I mean, I feel pretty good about the Alabama pick. Could very well be wrong. If you look at my picks record, you'll say, yeah, you probably could be wrong. <laughs> That's what the uh, analytics show. Um, when I look at this game, though, I, I have to admit that Washington is bad. I like Texas, and, and certainly with what I've seen, I would say, yeah, Texas should win the game. However, I thought Oregon should beat Washington two different times, and each time Washington prevailed. There's something about this Washington team in the clutch it's number it's unbeaten for a reason it comes through it's had a lot of close games i think washington as much as any team in the country is comfortable in a close game in the final minutes and i think that really matters in these playoffs so i would probably pick texas just because it looks better to me but like i said i thought oregon looked better too and i was wrong yeah, Texas, I think of these four teams, what I like about them is on their best day, I think maybe the only teams that are better than Texas on their best day are not in this playoff. I, I think Georgia would be the team that comes to mind. Of If each team has their best day, I think I would lean Georgia. But of these four teams in the field, I think Georgia is better on its best day than any of these other teams on theirs. Now, I would I would say Alabama's close. Alabama's not always cons- I mean, heck, Alabama almost lost the Iron Bowl, right? But we've seen a couple times this year how good Alabama is on its best day against LSU. That was pretty close to its best, even better though against Georgia. Um I think when those two teams are at their best, I like them the most in this field. Maybe that's why I think they're they're getting to the national championship is just I think they have, you know, a higher level of performance maybe than Michigan or Washington. But to your point, uh, every time you count wash this Washington team Washington team out, uh, they get it done. They're comfortable in those close games. I think that's important in a in a playoff situation. Oh, I agree. And Michael Penix, its quarterback, is 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 good in those situations. He's better than good, actually. Uh, also, what I like about Washington, uh, Dylan Johnson, a Mississippi State transfer, gives them a running threat between the tackles. 
it's not throw at all cost. It can slow down a pass rush because you have to respect Washington's running game. Uh, so I don't see it. good receivers and its receivers against secondary uh, Texas's secondary could be a plus for Washington. So I look for this to be a 41-38, 38-34 type game. And and the other game will be just the opposite. So we'll get a nice balance in these games. I think uh, you score 27, Michigan-Alabama, you get 27. I think you got it. Uh, 27 better not slow down when it's Washington versus Texas. All, all the jokes about Texas, John, that have been able to be made for you know a decade plus, they're over now, right? You, you better have got your your last jokes in on on Texas. Steve Sarkeesian um, has done a really, I mean, he's he's done a great job there. He uh, you know he kind of rebounded his career as Alabama's offensive coordinator, and he's played that forward and and has remade himself uh, into uh, you know a high quality coach again. At, at Texas and has put them back on the map, regardless of what happens in the playoff. And we know they'll be in the, the SEC next year. I think they're going to be ready on day one, John. I, I think SEC fans like to believe that their conference uh, has something special up their sleeve that uh, you step into this league and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, it's a different <laughs> game we're playing <laughs> oh, over here. Uh, I don't, I don't totally buy that. I do think there's some unique challenges in the SEC. You you don't get weeks off so much um, in in this conference, particularly not the way it's going next year, how tough it'll be. Um, I do think it's a great line of scrimmage league, but we've seen teams in the past come in and have success off the jump, right? I mean, Missouri won the division in two out of their first three years in the conference. Texas A&M's best their best performances ever in the conference were uh, the first few years with, with Johnny Manziel. And I don't think it's going to be much of an adjustment at all at Texas. Um, I think they're going to kind of be party wreckers from day one in the SEC. How much trouble do you see them causing in this conference next year? And, um, you know, I don't think Greg Sankey is ever going to regret <laughs> voting Texas. Well, I guess he didn't get a vote, but orchestrating Texas and, and Oklahoma into the conference. But do you think, you know, there's going to be some schools around the league that quickly have buyer's remorse and think, why on earth did we ever agree to let Texas and Oklahoma into this league? Well, I think the timing is great at the top because we're going to a 12-team playoff. And I think it will be hard if Quinn Uris comes back for Texas with the overall talent on their roster to keep them out of the playoff, no matter what league they're in. So I think... I'm not as sure about Oklahoma right now. We'll see what happens at quarterback. But I still like those two teams coming in right away. Nobody's saying, well, they're in the SEC now. Forget about them for the playoff. No, not at all. They'll be immediate playoff contenders. I would put, uh, just looking ahead to 24, I would have Texas and Oklahoma competing with Georgia, Alabama, maybe LSU as the top teams in this league. I think where they could really have an impact is in the midsection to lower level of the SEC. Teams that have been accustomed to qualifying for a bowl, every now and then getting that rare 10-win season, those are the teams I think could be impacted the most uh, because also you're doing away with divisions. And not meaning to pick on Kentucky, 
but I'll pick on Kentucky. Sure. Always Ken- welcome. Kentucky, let's face it, has really benefited from being in the SEC East. Tennessee's been down for a while, came has come back now under Josh Heupel. Um, you, Florida's down. So you're kind of dealing with, with Georgia there. Missouri came up this year, granted. But there's been some move, uh, some room for mobility in the SEC, mobile upward mobility. I think that will be very hard now. I think a team like Kentucky, it's going to be playing some of these West teams. Its schedule is going to be tougher next season. I've looked at that with some West teams in there. And you throw in an Oklahoma or Texas, uh, you look at South Carolina, which now uh, its coach, uh, Shane Beamer, could be coaching for his job next season after a bad year this year. Uh, Look at Arkansas, move over to the West. Arkansas, Sam Pittman coaching for his job. It's going to be... It's going to be harder because of Oklahoma, Texas. Oklahoma and Texas just kind of knock everybody else. I'm talking about the midsection on down. Knock everybody else down a level. Yeah, and what struck me, John, as you were rattling off the names of teams is (laughs) there's going to be a lot of good programs in this conference that are just fighting to have any hope for that last spot (laughs) in the playoff. I mean – you think about it, yeah, it's 12-team playoff. That's great for programs like, uh, you know, Texas now that I think will be in with regularity. But, um, okay, so the way the rules are, are set up now for the playoff, we know they can they can change it at any moment, right? <laughs> they, they've done that. But it looks like we're, we're heading toward a situation where you get five auto bids and seven at-larges. That's, again, all of this is, is sort of changing by the by the moment. Uh, in college football with the realignment we've had. But let's let's take it at face value of five auto bids and seven at-larges. So that already takes four bids off the board for the SEC. You're down to eight spots that you can uh, you can snag, right? And then you got to figure most years, I'm going to say the Big Ten, especially the expanded get Big Ten, is going to get a minimum of two at-large bids for a minimum of three teams total in the Big Ten. They're auto-bid plus two at-large. So that takes us down to six spots. And I'm not even sure you get six, because I could see the Big Ten snagging a fourth. But let's just say you get six in the SEC. Well, you just rattled five teams there that I think is going to be in the playoff with regularity in Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Oklahoma, and LSU. Saying those teams are going to be in it every year, but I think a lot of years, you're going to have at least a combination of four out of those five in it. So that leaves maybe one, maybe two spots for everybody else to be fighting for. So, it, you know, it, it sounds easier when you think, ah, 12-team playoff, so many spots up for grabs. Well, if you figure the SEC is going to get about five, maybe six bids in a given year, which I think is pretty reasonable, well... Two-thirds, if not more, of those bids could be sucked up before the season even kicks off, if we're if we're being realistic about it. Well, I think Tennessee under Josh Heupel certainly has a shot. When you when you take out those five teams we mentioned in an expanded league, uh <laughs> I hate almost hate to 
bring up Texas A and M. It's almost like I say the same thing about the Aggies every year. Well, they have all the resources you need to win a national title. Oh yeah, one thing missing: a coach. Uh, maybe Mike Elko will be that coach. Jimbo Fisher wasn't. Um, but see, I look at on that net after those Big Five. I, I I would probably favor Tennessee. And then you look at Ole Miss, what it's done under Lane Kiffin, it's not what you consider one of the most elite SEC programs, even in the old league. But under Lane Kiffin, it's been really good, and it's been in the running. If there had been that many playoff spots available, it would have had an opening, a possibility of making it. So you look at Tennessee, Ole Miss, and then you got to think about a team like Missouri that came out of nowhere this year. See, Missouri, there's going to be one team, I think, every year, maybe, that's Missouri. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in a in that expanded, more difficult league, we won't have that long shot making a – having that, uh, you know, a season that really doesn't fit its profile. No, but, I agree with you, John. I don't – I think it's going to be harder to do that, but I think a program like – at Ole Miss, a Missouri, um, you know, someone who fits into that category and Arkansas even, you know, that, that season, like a once out of every 10 year type of season where they're in the playoffs. What's interesting to me, John, is we didn't even mention Florida. <laughs> That's a, a reflection of the way that that program has been the last three years. But as we're rattling off teams, you know, that are going to be fighting and clawing to get into this 12 team playoff, Florida didn't even roll off the tongue. Did they? But if you look at you know programs that have won national championships since the '90s, Florida's got three of them, and so I think they got to factor into this somewhere. I don't know that they're going to be factoring into this mix uh, with Billy Napier. I think Billy Napier, we both agree, enters next season on on the hot seat, so it may take a different coach. But I got to think at some point Florida re-enters this conversation as as well. Well, we've already established that I'm living in the present, so Florida, worry about them later. <laughs> I, I, I think at least we another team we haven't mentioned is Auburn. Yep, Auburn has. Uh, I think Auburn could do what Tennessee did. Tennessee for just wandering around in the wilderness about twelve or twelve years or thirteen years, uh, bad coaching hires. But it's really uh, come on strong under Josh Heupel. I think the program is in much better shape than it's been probably since the 90s now. And so it has the potential of a playoff team. And I think Auburn has a tremendous fan base like Tennessee. It also has that desperate quality of wanting to win very badly. And what does that do? That, that can fuel your NIL deals. It's it. I think Auburn boosters will be willing to invest in the program now that Hugh Freeze is a coach and not Brian Harson. So, I think Auburn is a team with the resources to get in that playoff discussion more often than a lot of other schools. Florida, I think Florida's still in. I look at Florida's schedule next year. I don't see any way Billy Napier makes it unless you just say, "Well, we think he's building." A really good program, but I just don't see it happening. 
Uh, no, I, I'll be ready to put Florida in the conversation for the playoff again. Maybe, maybe 2025, 20, 2026. Uh, no, they, they don't, they don't get to be in the conversation next year. I'm not so sold on Auburn, John, their schedule is going to remain a bear every year. I mean, right now they play Alabama, LSU and Georgia every year. I think at some point the SEC is going to go to this nine game schedule and when that happens, and even in the interim right now, Auburn's still playing Alabama and Georgia every year. If it goes to nine games, those are going to be two of their rivals. They're going to play them every year. And I think we're heading toward you know, a situation where Auburn is a middle-of-the-pack team in this kind of fighting to stay even in the middle of the pack. You mentioned Tennessee's wandering through the desert there for a decade plus. I think these are early days for Auburn's wander through the desert. I, I, I don't think they're ready to pull out of this. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I think Hugh Freeze is, is, I thought he was the right coach for that school in the moment. Uh, I think he's certainly an upgrade over Brian Harson. He's recruiting. Okay. Um, I, I just think it's going to be tough for Auburn to regain the footing, you know, that they had there in the early stages of the Gus Malzahn era. Uh, the conference is tougher. Their schedule is going to remain one of the toughest in the in the conference. And, you know, as long as they're sandwiched in on all sides, you got Nick Saban on one side, you got Kirby Smart on the other, you got Mike Norvell. Uh, I don't think Florida State's going anywhere. They can, they can remain a juggernaut in that conference. I think it's really going to have Auburn pinned in. And then, as you mentioned, you got Tennessee, um, you know, that, that had been a punching bag for a while. It no longer is. I, I just... I feel like Auburn's going to be pinched a little bit, and, and I don't know that they're going to have much breathing room to, um, you know, reemerge here for for the moment. Uh, maybe the reason I like Auburn more than you do, I'm really conscious with with Auburn. When Auburn's been good, it's been very good. In 2004, it was unbeaten. Should have played for the national title. Oklahoma was taking the go against uh, Southern Cal, and that was just a brutal beating. Um, I thought Auburn should have played Southern Cal for the national title that year, undefeated that year under Tommy Tuberville, won a national title under Gene Chizik. Yes, it did have Cam Newton. A lot of teams might have won a national championship with him. And then Gus Malzahn in 2013, uh, minutes away from winning a national title. My point is when Auburn's good, it seems to really be good. It capitalizes when it has – uh, its best teams. It has a good home field advantage. And again, I just think that desperation quality of wanting to be good and not being satisfied with just being pretty good. And that can backfire, but Auburn is not afraid to make a change. It did that quickly with Brian Harson. That was a smart move. So going with the history of Auburn and with Hugh Freeze winning everywhere he's been, I probably have a high opinion of its chances in this league, but when you start talking about that, it just kind of reminds me these there's just not going to be much room for teams below the ones we've mentioned. I don't know if Missouri can do this again. Maybe it can. Maybe I'm selling a lot of drink or it's short, but wouldn't be the I, first time we've done that. No, we do it <laughs> religiously. And, and the same thing with Arkansas. I just don't know where Arkansas fits into this. How it's and, and we haven't to, even got to Kentucky or South Carolina. No, I, I think, yeah. 
I think Kentucky's the glory days of the Mark Stoops era have come and gone. Well, you can still buy the uh, 2006 Music City Bowl DVD of the year Kentucky beat Clemson. I saw that selling online at, at Walmart recently, John. So if you want to relive the glory days, it predates Mark Stoops. Uh, but you can you can pick up a copy of that 2006 Music City Bowl uh, as a stocking stuffer. We're going to talk more about the bowl games uh, on a future edition. Uh, so check back in with us. And thanks for listening to this installment of SEC Football Unfiltered.